If you're interested in what the process looks like to build a house in a factory, you can get a pretty good idea just by searching on YouTube for the company that owns the factory. Most companies engaged in this type of manufacturing are proud to display their factory's capabilities in videos. Amazingly, most of the factories in the United States are not what you would typically associate with the image of a modern factory. Inside of a huge hangar, you can see lots of people manually moving house components from one location to another with relatively few machines in sight. There's an assembly line for sure, but it looks more like what you'd expect to see in a factory from 100 years ago than something you'd associate with a modern factory operated primarily by robots. If you look outside of the United States, you can find much more advanced home-building factories that are more evocative of the robotics-driven future that automotive factories like Tesla or Toyota have already made into a reality. The factory that most impressed me was the SCG Haim factory in the province of Saraburi in central Thailand, northeast of Bangkok. SCG Haim is a joint venture between the Siam Cement Public Company and Sekasui Chemical Group, SCG is the fourth largest company in Thailand making chemicals, paper, cement, and building materials. Sekasui is a Japanese chemical company that also has a housing division. While I couldn't get anyone from SCG Heim to speak with me for this podcast, the robotics visible in their YouTube video reflected as impressive a manufacturing process as any I had seen. They use light-gauge steel for framing homes with fully automated robotics supplied by Kawasaki. I read online that the factory has the ability to produce a thousand homes per year. In a factory run by SCG Heim or even Tesla, you see giant machines with arms moving parts that are welded together by other giant machines with arms. So it's easy to imagine if someone were going to literally copy this kind of automated factory for producing housing modules, the materials they would be using to frame the homes would be steel or aluminum. Except here in the United States, we have a long history of building our homes from wood, and with good reason. Unlike many other parts of the world, North America has a relative abundance of forests that can be harvested for wood. You can also generally expect the cost of labor to be cheaper if you're framing a home with wood, as compared to bricks, for example, which is much more labor-intensive. So what would a factory with robots look like that makes housing modules out of wood? You're listening to Predicting Our Future. I'm Andrew Weinrich. This podcast explores current industries that are ripe for massive disruption, as well as some of the most exciting opportunities for entrepreneurs to explore. This is the sixth and final episode in a series about my prediction that in the near future, a majority of our homes will be built in factories. In the last episode, I explored what the future of home building factories might look like with the help of an inventor who has plans to build structures on Mars as well as a world-renowned expert in automotive manufacturing and lean production. In this episode, I'll describe how I would go about building the ideal factory for constructing housing modules. My goal is to answer questions like, how would I build the factory? What would it cost? And where would I construct it? This podcast is sponsored by DigitalOcean, a cloud platform company that is simplifying infrastructure for software developers. Thousands of startups have selected DigitalOcean because of how easy it is to get up and running with their platform. As you scale, DigitalOcean will scale with you. If you're a startup, apply for DigitalOcean's Hatch program, where if selected, you'll have access to their cloud for 12 months, in addition to technical training and mentorship. 
You can also go to do.co forward slash predicting our future and ask the sales team for a free trial. Weinman, located in St. Johann, Germany, sells more machinery worldwide for this type of home building factory than anyone else. There are currently 5,000 Weinman machines operating in 150 home building factories worldwide. Weinman won't just sell me the machines for my factory, they'll design the entire factory for me. Hansbert Ott is managing director for Weinman and has worked at the company for 25 years. You provide the layout within the factory, is that right? That's correct, yes. And do you train the workforce? Yeah, that's also right. We are building not only the machines, we, we produce here the machines, install the machines in our company, make the test run with the customer, with the material of the customer. And when the customer is signing and said, that's, that's fine, that's okay, then we are shipping the machine to the customer. And with our guys, we install the machines. Also, that's very important, make also the training, the education for the operators on the machines. And we are doing also more to be there during the, the production to help and educate also uh, the people for the customer. Uh, and uh, they have our support that he learns a lot how to prefabricate elements and deliver this in a high quality on site. If I was going to build a factory and I had no experience whatsoever in designing and outfitting a factory, I'd hire a consultant to a deep expertise in this area. And as it turns out, Weinman is more than happy to play that role for me for a fee of between $50,000 and $100,000. The result? Depending upon how much automation I want, the cost would be between $3 million and $10 million with the ability to produce 1,000 homes a year. I shared with Hansbert my research about automotive factories and lean production, as I wanted to understand how his approach was different from Toyota's. Hansbert believed the level of customization necessary to satisfy American home buyers was greater than what a typical automobile manufacturer was accustomed to. They have the different types of cars, you know, for example, 10 different types, and then you can select the color, you can select this and this and this. Uh, if I think about our our machines, what our machines are doing, it doesn't matter how the ho the, the houses looks like. It's customized houses, and each house can be different. Each wall, each element can be different to the other ones. That's the, the main different things against uh, Toyota and all these guys. It's a total flexible system, and you can produce total flexible houses, elements. Are you saying that your machinery is flexible enough that I can put into the CAD program that I want to build a 2,000 foot house with a 600 foot kitchen and then immediately thereafter I can change the programming to say now I want a 4,000 foot house with an 800 foot kitchen unlike in a automobile factory where you really have to do a run and all of, you know, for the given run, all of the chassis need to be the same. Are you saying that each individual product that moves through the transfer line is able to be different? Yes, absolutely correct. 
A number of the people I interviewed expressed to me the need to be able to customize every home they sold in order to meet consumers' demands. And yet all the single-family home manufacturers in the United States that I interviewed approached the market by selling a number of models that would then allow for slight deviations, such as customizing cabinetry, windows, or wall colors. Aside from these types of details, I wasn't so sure that American consumers would choose custom homes when presented with substantial cost savings and a modern design. I live on the 26th floor of a high-rise in Brooklyn. The one thing I'm absolutely certain of when it comes to my building is that all the units in the same line as mine, that is all the floors below and above me, have the exact same layout that I have. As for my house outside of the city in the Hamptons, I like that it looks different from the other houses on my block, but I couldn't care less if someone in the neighborhood, let alone 100 miles away from me, had an identical home. Nonetheless, Weinman has found this ability to build factories that can efficiently build custom homes to be a big selling point. The selling points I was most interested in for factory-built housing were in this order of importance. Time to build, cost, and quality. Speaking with Hans Bert, it was clear that Weinman had a huge advantage in the time savings component. How long would it take to build a house then? It depends. If you have a factory with a capacity of 1,000 houses, uh, you can calculate yourself. So you have 250 days per year. Then we have four houses per day. I interviewed eight companies that produced single-family homes inside of factories in the United States. Many of them told me they had no automation whatsoever in their factories. Most of them told me that to put one of their finished homes in the ground translated to a 40 to 50% cost savings relative to a house of comparable quality that was custom built on site. Hansbert encouraged me to speak with the owner of a Weinman factory to get a sense of the cost savings they derived from using his machinery. Reza Nasseri is the CEO of the Landmark Group of Builders. He's been a developer for the past 30 years in Edmonton after immigrating to Canada from Iran. Landmark is responsible for constructing 12,000 homes and has received all types of awards for green building. But instead of marketing themselves as the least expensive product because of their advantage of constructing inside of a factory equipped with Weinman machinery, Reza explained to me that his homes are priced equivalent to their non-factory produced competitors. Instead, they translate most of the savings they could have achieved in the factory to using more expensive materials, resulting in what Reza believes is a vastly superior product that is also environmentally friendly. Engineering would cost about a time and a half with normal wood. Uh, so why do we use it? Because normal wood, there is a lot of waste in it because to begin with, you know, in most cases, there's 15% of the wood when you open the bundle, actually that they twist it already and you can only use it for short pieces or, you know, sell it for other pieces, you know, grinding. And then there is waste when you build it. The weather, you know, that, for example, if there's rain and it dries again, now there's some of them, they twist again, you have to fix. Engineering wood doesn't have any of those problems. So at the end, we use a much superior product, and, but it doesn't cost us anymore when you take the whole picture into account, not just the cost of the wood. But when you take the final product, how much this would, this would cost us 
when the customer has moved, by the time the customer has moved in the house, then it's the same price. But much higher, you know, much superior in terms of strength and uh, quality and straightness. This question of what materials should be used inside of a home building factory has fascinated me since I began research for these podcasts. If I'm going to build a factory, I'm going to need to make a strategic bet on the materials that will comprise the housing modules. If I were framing modules in steel, I might design the factory differently or buy different kinds of equipment than if I were framing in wood. As it turns out, 98% of Weinman machinery is designed to build homes framed in wood. Reza argues that because of global warming, it's a good strategic bet to believe that the movement to build with wood will accelerate over time. If wood is just left in the forest, it rots and creates carbon. But when you actually use wood, lasts for hundreds of years, you know, because it's, you know, treated, covered, and you store that carbon now, you know, that. So you, when you use uh, engineered wood in particular, you save all the tall trees because engineered woods are built out of, you know, smaller, you know, trees that they grow really fast. Large trees, they stay actually and clean the air for us and, you know, they go through the photosynthesis. And so wood is the best material for construction. And uh, unless you build, you know, extremely tall high rises, you know, that uh, you have to use steel or concrete. A builder I know described engineered wood to me this way. Visualize a pair of jeans. If you look closely, you'll see that the grain of the fabric runs vertically up and down each leg. If you were going to try to tear a pair of jeans, you would rip the fabric in a vertical direction along the grain. Now imagine a piece of wood, which also has a grain that runs in a certain direction. If you had a single piece of wood that you wanted to karate chop, you would chop along the grain, not against it. But imagine if you took two or three layers of wood and stacked them, making sure the grain of each layer was facing a different direction than the layer below it. This is how the strongest engineered wood is designed, with each layer facing a different direction and separated by glue. Reza made clear that there were environmental advantages to using wood over other construction materials. He wasn't worried about us running out of trees to build with. In climates, in like in, North, in South America, you know, in, in parts of the U.S., for example, they can actually produce uh, species of wood that every two years they can harvest, actually. As you do, you grow trees, you help the environment, uh, the clean air, you know, the, uh, the photosynthesis, uh, you can produce a lot of wood. Someday, most houses will be in wood. Ryan Smith is the director of the Integrated Technology and Architecture Center at the University of Utah. He agreed with Reza in that if you're building a factory for housing modules, the smart bet is to use wood as your framing material. There's something called embodied carbon or embodied energy. As tree is growing, we all know from grade school, sequesters carbon, sequesters carbon dioxide, and emits oxygen, right? Um, when we use wood in a building, it's storing that carbon in a building as opposed to burning it or letting it biodegrade and uh, emit CO2 back into the atmosphere. So it's called a carbon sink or a carbon lag. And so more and more people are trying to use wood in buildings, even taller buildings than wood. You'll see that as a trend. Ryan is an expert in prefabricated housing. But as it turned out, this topic of material selection and its criticality to the planet comprised the majority of my interview with him. Trees at a certain point in their life do not sequester carbon like they did when they were growing when they were young. So the best use of trees, in my opinion, is one, use them, and then two, replace them 
And this is all called sust- sustainable harvesting. That early cycle of a, of a young tree growing is really what's sequestering the carbon and producing oxygen. So the only renewable resource in construction is plant-based material, right, frankly. Uh, a rapidly renewable material, given the fact that our population growth is occurring at an astronomical uh, rate, is, is using trees. I, I don't see any other option as a researcher in this area. What about multifamily homes, apartments? Would we also see a movement over time to construct these structures from wood? Hansbert believes so. So in the past, we had 90% that they built single-family homes. But uh, since, since the last 18 months, approximately, we have more and more projects worldwide uh, to produce uh, multi-story buildings. And um, then there is another thing coming. You are asking me about the future. If you go higher as two or three floors, then it's coming more and more that you build the houses with solid wood. The, the third thing, if you go more as 10 or 12 floors, then it, there is another thing coming up. It's a hybrid system. Hybrid system means the construction will be done with concrete. It's exterior walls with, uh, with uh, wood framing, with uh, sheeting on both sides, with insulation in it, with the windows installed, etc. Everything is ready. And then you take this in front of this steel or concrete construction. The modules, the rooms, the apartments are wood, but the frame is steel. Yeah, correct. Would it look like a box showing up on the site or would it just, would it be more, the components would be pre-cut and assembled on site? That can be a difference. It can be that you have only wall elements, prefabricated wall elements, like what you, what we discussed before on a single family home, but it can be also a volumetric a volumetric model prefabricated and you build this up for offices or hotels. It's coming more and more that to prefabricate it completely ready in, in the factory before and take this on site and stack this, that the models one beside the other or also on top of each other. It became pretty easy to see how environmental considerations could determine what materials would be used in construction factories of the future. But I was curious whether environmental considerations had translated to regulatory requirements that might accelerate the growth of factory-built homes. This is not a topic that required particularly deep digging. In recent years, there's been a slew of legislation about the energy efficiency requirements of new construction that will have a profound impact on how housing modules are constructed inside of a factory. The most important piece of legislation comes out of California's building code, Title 24, and requires that by the year 2020, all new construction for single-family, multifamily homes three stories and under, and low-income housing buildings be net zero. This means that the energy consumed by a building to power appliances or run an air conditioner, for example, be less than the amount of energy made by a building. So unless new homes are going to put up giant wind turbines in their front yards, it's likely that all new homes built in California will have solar on their roofs. Nine other states have similar legislation enacted or in the works. Commercial buildings in California are expected to be net zero by 2030. 
The motivation behind this legislation is the mind-bogglingly outsized role that buildings play in global warming. I had assumed before beginning research on this podcast that automobiles were the number one source of carbon emissions. But as it turns out, automobiles are not nearly as bad a contributor to carbon emissions as the operation of buildings. 40% of carbon emissions generated from the United States into the Earth's atmosphere comes from the electricity and heating needs of buildings, where energy is produced from the burning of fossil fuels, namely coal and oil from some utility plant. Creating a net zero home isn't simply about putting solar panels on the roof of a building. It's about configuring every piece of the home to work in concert with one another. From the material for the framing to the insulation to the exterior cladding, the goal is to create a home that is akin to a hermetically sealed box. The energy required to heat or cool such a home is dramatically reduced, and the energy required for temperature maintenance is similarly reduced. And it just so happens that this energy-efficient home equipped with solar panels is easier to construct in a factory than on site, because the precision in building that is necessary to produce a net zero home is easier to accomplish in a factory this kind of legislation is likely to accelerate the growth of factory-built homes. So California might be a good place to build my new factory. It's the largest housing market by far in the United States, and it's leading the country in building code regulations for more energy-efficient housing. Hansbert wouldn't tell me which companies in the United States were currently using his machines other than to say there are seven such factories in operation and more under development. I asked him if he had a billion dollars, whether he would build a single factory in the United States that could produce 50,000 modules a year, or 50 factories geographically dispersed throughout the United States that made 1,000 modules each. It's possible to build a mega factory for 50,000 homes per year. But um, if you calculate how many truckloads uh, you get into the factory and then how many truckloads it's going from the factory, it makes a lot more sense to have uh, 50 factories, each one with 1,000. And uh, if you have 50 factories, you can spread them out in, in the country. We have calculated for some months ago in, in America, it, for my opinion, it makes sense that you have a radius of 600, 700 miles, not more, from, from a factory. If you had to identify one place in the United States where there would be the, the best market to, that is untouched, where would that market be? It, it's on the East Coast. Yeah, that's the number one. And then uh, in the Texas area. And then um, the third one will be more on the West Coast, uh, around Phoenix and this area. The, the northeast or the southeast coast? Northeast coast, like uh, Washington, Baltimore, uh, uh, Boston, uh, New York. Is, uh, and that first market would be for single-family residences or for multifamily? For both. In all, I interviewed 29 experts in factory-built construction, from academics to builders to designers. When research for this project began, I started with the hypothesis that the majority of construction would move into a factory, and the principal driver would be cost savings. I spoke with companies offering high-end prefabricated homes throughout the country that can save you as much as 50% on the cost of a build. I spoke with companies with much larger ambitions in constructing factory-built modules 
for high-rise and mid-rise apartment buildings. And now I've tried to put it all together by describing how I would go about building a factory if I were going to pursue an opportunity in the home building space. As for the future, we are clearly incrementing our way toward building most of our housing in factories instead of on site, even if the process at times seems to be painfully slow. In the United States, I think the stigma of factory-built housing will fade as the lower costs and efficiencies of factory production become clearer to consumers and developers. Energy regulations won't just push the industry along. They will jolt it to attention in as jarring a way as anything the construction industry has ever experienced. Who will be the winners in the factory-built home space? Will the Chinese and Thais and Canadians dominate the American construction landscape in 20 years? Will the Pennsylvania modular home manufacturers expand to become global giants? Will Warren Buffett prod along Clayton Homes to become the Google of this space? I doubt it all. Instead of going with the entrenched players in the construction industry, which is notorious for its resistance to change, I'm betting that this is a space where American technology entrepreneurs will increasingly turn their attention. In a few years, there won't just be a handful of construction companies with a core expertise in factory production. There will be a huge influx of startup activity flooding into this space, as well as lots of venture capital. The factory of the future will be fully automated with advanced robotics operated by a company that has mastered the full vertical stack from design through the supply chain, through the sales process, including providing financing to future homeowners. If I was raising capital for this space, I wouldn't start small. The construction space is a different beast than many of the other spaces that venture capitalists are used to funding, particularly on the multifamily side. If you're building an apartment building, not just anyone can buy your product. Your customers are developers. So if I was going to build a factory, I'd start by looking to partner with a large developer who already had land that we could jointly develop. I'd go out and raise $20 million of capital for this new business. From the 20 million raised, 10 million would go towards construction of my factory. That's the high end of the number Hansbert Ott gave us for a Weinman factory. And 10 million would go towards working capital to hire and train my workers. I'd then go out and raise a second pool of capital, somewhere between 20 million and $40 million. This latter pool would be devoted to purchasing plots of land to build upon, thereby creating initial demand for my factory. Dream with me for a moment how this will work for people wanting to build a home from scratch. Today you'd buy a plot of land and then meet with an architect to begin designing the home of your dreams. It might take months to design your home and then months more to build the house. It wouldn't be unusual if the process was measured in years instead of months. What might it look like in the future? You'll go to a website and select from a number of different home models. Once you've selected the model, you'll be able to customize everything from the bathroom fixtures to the cabinetry to the paint colors. The company you're buying from will take care of the permitting process by submitting a package of designs on your behalf. You'll put down a deposit 
and then builders will come and set the foundation. Over a period of one day to a few weeks, your home will be set in place module by module. Water and electric will be hooked up to the town. It won't be long before you're ready to move in. What are the names of the companies that will be building most of these factory-built homes of the future? Out of the many startups that will be calling Hansbert Ott to order Weinman machinery for their factories, one or two will emerge with the unbridled ambition, outsized plans, and sufficient capital to challenge this industry's biggest players and contribute to a long-awaited shift towards home building that is predominantly completed in the factory. If this podcast is listened to a few years hence, you'll know their names and wonder what took so long for them to finally arrive and build the next multi-hundred billion dollar companies. You've been listening to Predicting Our Future. I'm Andrew Weinrich, and this is the conclusion to a series on the future of homes built in factories. If you'd like to learn more about the companies featured in this podcast, as well as a few additional companies that I interviewed, go to predictingourfuture.com to access the full list of participants and all the interviews in their entirety. This is Predicting Our Future.